0: And now it's time for Eastcast and reports from coastal stations. East at Sierra, west at Sierra, south-west at Sierra and north-north-east at Sierra. Wind southwest, south-west, rain at times, good. Forties, fifties, sixties, tyne, dogger, German bite, French kiss and Swiss roll. Westerly becoming cyclonic, good. Right here in London's East
1: End. Operating at any level, any time, anywhere, and with anybody. Who are they? One might be your secretary, your doctor's receptionist, or a dancer in a go-go club.
2: They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. Now, now, now.
3: Hello and welcome back to Eastcast here on Resonance 104.4 FM and DAB. Eastcast is a monthly delve into the arts, the culture, and the community simmering away in East London but as always, resonating way beyond. So wherever you're listening, good to have you with us. I'm Pearl Wise and I'm here. um, As the football is a priority, I'm here alone. So if you are listening live, a very special welcome and thank you. Um, For the next hour, we will hear from creative director and diversity activist, Rebecca Roundtree, how a Marconi receiver ended up in an East End pub, We'll hear from the delightful Florence recorded for the Now Then podcast. And then we'll have live music later um, with uh, dream pop trio Carolyn's Fingers. But first, we're joined by Jenny Richards from the Grand Union Orchestra. Welcome, Jenny. Um, so you're not actually from the orchestra, you're kind of representing them, you're you're their press agent. Um, so tell us what the Grand Union Orchestra is.
4: Yeah, I wish I was a part of the orchestra. I have no musical talent. Um, but no, it's great being part, So sort of getting to work with them because they're this kind of mixture of world class musicians that have all come from different cultures and different musical traditions. And they just have come together to create this kind of... Um, different mix of genres and sounds that's very much a celebration of the different cultures that it kind of all represents together. So the orchestra has
3: been going for over 30 years how did it um, where where
4: does where did it come from whose idea was it how did it get started? Um, It was originally founded in 1982 and then it was just the grand union because it was more to do like theatre though music was a part of it like theatrical work and then um, it was sort of touring different shows and then they decided to tour the show Strange Migration which was because they wanted to talk about the effect migration had and the kind of brilliant effect it was having on our community and our kind of ever ever more diverse community Um, but to do that obviously you don't want to tell someone's story for them Um, it's very important to the orchestra is a platform for voices of migrants rather than people who are sort of originally from here, um, because there's authenticity in the story you're telling. And so then different people kind of came into the orchestra um, as it became the orchestra, um, people who are political exiles or uh, economic migrants kind of all coming together. And it was the GLC who commissioned us to do a piece for their year against racism in 1984. Um, And yeah, that kind of sparked the the Grand Union Orchestra and it's kind of migration's been at the heart of it since then. So everyone who's in the orchestra
3: is... A migrant first generation, is that, that how it works? Like, how do you kind of classify, like, what is, you know, how, how do you decide what, what's yeah. the criteria?
4: Um, it does vary now. Um, There's sort of more of a, a mix of people, but for our sort of for particular shows, so one on Saturday, what the river brings is all people from either migrant-based communities, whether they're first-generation immigrants or they're kind of just from that community and they're kind of uh, through the generations, and because it's about kind of celebrating the the effect migration's had on the East End. So obviously for shows like that, it's very much a migrant-based orchestra that's playing. Um, and we've got guest performers as well, kind of bringing everything from like Chinese folk to African beats together for the show. So yeah, it's really cool. So
3: how many... Um, cultures and how many countries are represented in the orchestra would you say oh,
4: I don't think I could even guess that because it's such a mix there's kind of everything there I was at the most recent rehearsal and I like when I came in they were doing uh yeah the Chinese kind of folk folk songs and then I left and I came back and then there was like drums out the next minute and I was like what what <laughs> what happened um but there's yeah kind of every every community like oh sort of the majority of communities i should say is represented there which means you kind of get this wide range of stories being told about the and the different stories being told as well it's not kind of one voice and that's why it works so well and you're
3: based in Bethnal Green so do you, is that where you rehearse and perform mainly or
4: um we all our work is well the uh, mo- majority of our work is based in East London and Bethnal Green is where our offices are and where our next show is, but we sort of, our youth orchestra is often at Rich Mix um, in Shoreditch. And we've also got a show at Hackney coming up in uh, autumn. So, yeah, it's kind of very much East-based, but
3: a mix of things. And right now, the reason why it wasn't actually the football, why people couldn't be here um, from the orchestra, it's because they're really hard rehearsing.
4: <laughs> For a a show that's coming up really soon, what what's that? Uh, Yes, on Saturday, um, which is in Bethnal Green, uh, St John and Bethnal Green, and it's what the river brings, and it's yeah celebrating uh, migration. Sort of seventy years on from Windrush is obviously the kind of what's happening currently, but like migration has always been sort of, as I said before, at the centre of what we do. It just kind of coincided, and it's nice that it's a celebration rather than the more negative things you hear. It's definitely a positive. A positive night that's kind of bringing a mix of musicians together to look at the effect different cultures had on shaping our arts rather than just sort of different aspects we're really focusing on the amazing things that it's done for kind of the music that we love and bringing together all these traditions to create yeah hopefully a spectacular show <laughs> <laughs> um
3: and if Someone's interested in joining the orchestra and they kind of fit the criteria. Um, how musical do you have to be? Do you have to be able to read music? Do you have to already play? You know, is it is it quite professional in that way or can you kind of learn as you join? Because some orchestras you kind of learn yeah. while you're kind of part of it and you don't have to be that professional. I'm just wondering how it works.
4: Yeah, it is a more professional-based organisation just because I think... We've been going for so long that it's kind of people that tracks are usually people kind of higher up in the field who just want to meet other musicians as well that maybe aren't in their typical traditional genre um, so Sierra yeah, is more professional rather than community-based but that's kind of where the shows come in and that they're more of an inclusive atmosphere and we have things like our summer school where if you uh, want to interest in the youth orchestra and you want to kind of learn more and maybe you aren't as advanced we do have those opportunities to to kind of come and work with us and we run workshops quite a lot because even though maybe the orchestra is not community-based the work very much is so I think
3: we should hear something um thank you so much for joining us um what are
4: we going to hear um you're going to hear Mr Never Smile which will be played uh this Saturday at the show starting at seven thirty, and um it's sort of belt you're about an immigration officer who's sort of saying stand behind the line and this person that everyone's faced with when they get to the border and the whether they'll let you in or not and the kind of emotions that come with that but it's still got a kind of celebratory african beat to it so yeah it's a fun one
3: thank you jenny
4: thank you for having me
5: i Door it goes both ways in and out and out and in and in and out and out and in, but mostly out. Stand on the line right in the doorway. Just call me Mr. Never Smile.
3: So that was the Grand Union Orchestra with Mr. Never Smile. Now we'll be hearing an extract from Jesse Lawson's podcast series, Now Then, that shares the stories of people who are over 70 years old. And this is Florence's story.
1: Now <laughs> <laughs> you just sit down there and relax. Just relax, now you have a nice rest. Thank you. We'll have a nice cup of tea when you're ready. That's great. If you need the bathroom, the air is just through, through, just there. Amazing. Not the door you open, the other one. But I want you to see the view first, really. That's the interesting thing in this house. And this amazing. is my 90th birthday, it's the 90th.
2: I've
1: got all these from different people and all these presents. Right, now. We're in Scotland, Glasgow, and uh, this is still Florence talking as usual. I'm now going to tell you how I met my husband, and please forgive me if I get emotional, but I think it must have been the most wonderful day in my life. You wouldn't believe it. Ladies and gentlemen, when I tell you that my mother married a man that had two sons and my mother had two daughters, so therefore uh, the two daughters married the two sons. Now, please try to understand, it wasn't my father that had lost in the Air Force. This was a man that mother married again about two or three years later. Anyway, long story short, my mother married that chap. And then, a short time later, we found out that he had two sons. And my mother, are you with me? My mother had two daughters. This chap she married had two sons. Now, fortunately, I was the one to meet the the first soldier that came to the door shortly after that, which was about maybe a year later or something. This young soldier came to the door. And he was the one I married. His name was George Allison. This knock came to the door this day. And he had opened it. And he was, oh, he was such this handsome man. Now, can you imagine that he answered the door? And I was trying to help Mum at this time. We'd lost our dad. And we tried to help Mum as much as we can in the house. And um, uh, this chap came to the door this day. And you know, to the door. I said, oh, do come in. Can I ask who you are? And he said, I'm George Allison. And when he spoke, I fell in love there and then with his wonderful uniform. How marvellous he looked. He wasn't anything important. He was just a soldier. But oh my goodness, his shoulders were straight. and Oh, he was so handsome. He had big brown eyes and a lovely tan because he'd been in Egypt and places like that that I'd, I'd just read about it in books at school so I didn't know much about it but oh he was so handsome and he took his Glengarry off now you'll wonder what that was but that was a little cap they wore and it was like your, your handbag when you put it down and it folds up like a purse and well they had it was like that you picked it up and it's all like a handbag and they put it up in their hand on their head Uh, Please forgive me, I forget things, I'm 90, you know, remember that. He put his hat on and, oh my goodness, he took it off and he just looked so handsome. Beautiful black curly hair and big eyes and he's just a very handsome man. I fell in love with him right away. Then he left the house... And, oh, my goodness, uh, Mum said, are you all right? And I said, oh, he was so handsome. Well, that was your brother. And she explained to me best she could. Remember, my mother was a tough, hard lady. And she told me how how, how she was married now. And this was my stepbrother. And, uh, and she wasn't sure whether um, uh, we could be... It was, Just let me tell you that he was my stepbrother. He was no relation whatsoever. He was the son of the man that my mother had married again. So, therefore, he was my stepbrother. And that was the person I met. His name was George Allison. And about two years later, I married him. (laughs) So I think I'll just end it there because she must be bored to tears listening to my terrible accent. So please forgive me. But being half Scottish and half half English is difficult, you know, because some people have taught me. My friends they say, "Where did she come from anyway?" And I say Newcastle. But I'm a Scot now because I've lived here many, many years. I came here way back, so I can't even remember how many years I've been here. But nevertheless, I hope you've enjoyed my little chat and I'll speak to you again sometime, I'm sure, in the future, because I'm sure the good Lord has work for me to do yet. So thank you very much for listening. Goodbye.
6: (laughs) When I edit this, I'm going to add some music to it. Mm hmm. Do you have a favourite song or a favourite musician that you like?
1: We'll meet again, don't know where, don't know when But I know we'll meet again some sunny day Keep smiling through, just like you always do till the good starts drives the bad clouds far away and will you please say hello to the folks that I know, tell them I won't be long they'll be happy to know that when I saw them go, I was singing in a song we again don't know when don't know when but I know we'll meet again some sunny day that was lovely,
3: thank you so that was Florence and if you want to hear more from the stories from Jesse Lawson's podcast series Now Then, just search for Now Then in whatever podcast platform you use um now for something completely different um <laughs> we're going to uh, head over to speak to carmen jess and chess from carolyn's fingers welcome ladies
7: hi hi
3: thank you for joining us um just so that we know who's who can you kind of just because there's three of you with different voices so just each introduce yourselves okay
7: okay uh, i'm jess I'm Carmen.
3: Chess. Great. Um, I don't know how helpful that's going to be, but <laughs> <laughs> it's good enough. Um, so uh, we'll learn more about you in a minute, but or a few. Let's um, hear a first track. What are you going to play for us?
8: Yeah, we're going to play a song called Mamba Negra. Um, it's kind of quite melodic. Uh, song about um, a myth, and it tells the myth of the dracena, who's Killed by someone.
3: (laughs) Okay, take Mm
9: it. She received it. sa
3: you so much um so i'm intrigued first of all by your name um obviously a cocktail twins reference who's the fan all three of you or was it one one of you in particular
8: of pretty much obsessed but it was the first song that jess showed me it's the first song that jess showed me from Carly- from cocktail twins and i was like I yeah. just couldn't believe that that existed, that kind of music ex- existed, and then just all of us really loved them. And
3: how did you meet? How did you become a band?
7: Um, well, I guess we kind of met through my girlfriend, really, my now fiancé. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, she she had a party and, um, and Carmel was there and looking for a singer, and I think you, like, remember this. Apparently I said this, Kind of nuts quote. <laughs> yeah, Jess
8: said to me that she's got a. Uh, she said, "I've got a voice in me." <laughs> yeah,
7: I'm saying this, yeah. but it sounds like the kind of thing I would say.
8: And um. yeah, after a few months, then well, I was in another band. We found found a singer. Jess was going away, and then after a few months, I received this message from Jess like, "Carmen, I really want to be in a band with you. So can we just?" do <laughs> 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 And Jess Jess and I have known each other for ages, and. Yeah, I I asked them to join mm-hmm. a few months after. So
3: you've been playing together for what, a year, something like that?
7: Yeah, so yeah. we were in another band before with like acoustic drums and, and another bassist. Um, and then they both went away for the summer to do electives because they were medical students. Uh, and it was just us three, so initially we started just trying to do the beats ourselves because we wanted to keep playing and then as soon as we did that and kind of went into the electronic music side of things it was like a whole world opened up and that's when we decided okay now we're carolyn's fingers and this is what we're doing i think that's when we like properly found our sound um yeah it's been like a year
3: so yeah just to say that what we're hearing now is without the beats basically uh, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. so we're, we'll hear a track at the end where there's it's a bit more electronic and a yeah. bit more pumping with the beats but this is a kind of pared down set that we can fit into this studio because <laughs> otherwise it's a little bit too much um and so releases what what's what's kind of happening with that have you got any plans have you released i mean you've been sort of releasing things yeah i've been following your (laughs) (laughs) yeah you sort of email me when when something's being released so um Um,
8: yeah the, the the next thing we've got uh lined up is a music video for twice born which is the last song that we released and and it's it's sick it's really good i can't wait for it to be out it's all like we just recorded ourselves on like on our iphone so it's like but it it's just i don't know i i really i'm really proud of it so it will come out in the next few weeks
3: so what are you doing like releasing on what like spotify um are, are there any physical releases or is it mainly online Ooh. at the moment
8: yeah no, it's it's online but yeah but maybe we should do that <laughs> maybe like we're planning on at some point probably towards the end of the year releasing like an ep like collecting a few songs and then maybe we can do like a physical thing yeah i guess it just feels a bit more tangible when it's like you can
3: take it home and and kind of have it as a thing um yeah i don't know i always i always think that you kind of do the online releases and and it's digital but then when you can actually touch and have something to hold it feels like it's it's kind of there um and then in terms of gigs um how's it been going have you been doing a, a sort of on that circuit already yeah i've been doing gigs in london and cambridge mainly um we've got like a couple coming out yeah
8: somewhere. yeah in august, in I august think? Yeah. Yeah. yeah we've like sort of tried to Make things a bit more quiet now with gigs because we've been like focusing on finishing songs, recording, doing the music videos. Um, But I think the next gig we have is eleventh of August in the Notting Hill Arts Club. Yeah,
3: yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice venue. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I think that will be that. That makes sense yeah. to me. Okay, great. <laughs> great. Yeah, yeah that, I haven't been in like six uh, years. Yeah. No, no. I think I think that that's good. Um, so, should we hear another song? Yeah, yeah. Um, what's this one?
7: Uh, so this song is Vapor. Um, this is our next, the next single that we're going to release. So first is the music video, and then probably this will be coming out not too long away.
3: So this yeah. is exclusive.
7: Yeah. yeah.
3: Okay, great.
2: Snow goes slow.
3: Thank you so much, all three of you, Caroline's fingers. And we look forward to hearing more from you. And we will hear a little bit more at the end of the show. But thank you so much for playing live for us.
2: Thank Thanks for having me.
3: Um, you're listening to Eastcast on Resonance 104.4 FM and DAB. Don't forget, you can get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook at Eastcast Show. And you can listen again to our podcast on iTunes or Spotify. Search Eastcast Show London and everything is on com. And now, um, I spoke to Rebecca Roundtree earlier. So I'm here with Rebecca Roundtree. Welcome, Rebecca. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, You're very welcome. Um, So we got in touch because of the She Says events that you do. But let's go rewind a bit and find out a bit about, you know, how you got to that point of organising those events. Um, So you are a creative director in advertising and um we were talking earlier and you said to me there's only 3% of women i mean it, it fluctuates but there's only 3% of women creative directors and that was quite shocking yeah. to me <laughs> tell me how you kind of made it through how did you get to that point where you're one of these 3% yeah
6: i mean it's it's really terrifying isn't it 3% uh it's an interesting story so um i'm I got into advertising because I love ideas. I'm a problem solver at heart and ideas are my bread and butter. Um, So I wasn't really aware that there was that disparity at all. Um, But as I kind of grew up, if you like, in the world of advertising and sort of got up the ladder, I realized that the ladder (laughs) seemed very hard. And also that was always the only woman in the room and I thought it's a bit wrong but you know I sort of continued on and then and then I started to notice that the ideas I was having which for me were you know really exciting and normal <laughs> um, because they were coming like from a female point of view a lot of people it's not necessarily that they didn't like it they just did not understand it because I was dealing with a lot of men and it, it, it was just not their world and sometimes I think we all know this that women can speak Chinese <laughs> um, to men so I started sort of look up you know around me and sort of thought well something going wrong a bit here so um, started to sort of seek out other sort of networking group and there's a great one called she says and they really are all about sort of championing women in advertising and that's when I discovered this horrific stat, which is 3% in the entire world are executive creative director. There's actually a conference in the US that's called the 3% Conference. That The idea is that it moves, so it's like the 4% Conference so that we include more women. It hasn't changed for that many years, unfortunately. So it is a massive, massive problem. So, I mean, that must
3: really affect the content of, of you know of adverts and we're so influenced by advertising and it's so much part of our everyday life for everyone. Yeah. That the fact that there's, you know, f- over 50% of the population are not being properly res- represented through trying to sell something exactly it just seems absolutely bonkers to me
6: well another stat for you is that 80% of purchases are made by women including cars including all the things that are sort of stereotypically made for men it's uh, women do purchase them and we are completely ignored but it's not just women it's having sort of diverse voices and I'm now a massive advocate so I've done a lot of talks about the power of having diverse what i call storytellers or creatives in the creative departments because it's all sort of plain and boring and we can see that on our tvs and youtube you know ads etc it's it's all a bit bland isn't it so that leads us very nicely to your podcast yeah called this way up and that is
3: really celebrating these diverse voices in in, in creative business is that's,
6: that, right. that's right yeah that's right so um basically I, I like talking to people as you can tell i'm very curious and I, I when i sort of started to realize that something was wrong i sort of seeked out these uh, really senior women um actually didn't seek out creative directors because there's so few of them i didn't even see them but i saw very uh, uh top ceos etc and i started to talk to them and be, began to be curious about how they their journeys and so many of them had like incredible stories but ones that you wouldn't expect in the sense that it wasn't rosy and it was like those kind of uh difficult stories what i call the ugly stories um that i really sort of thought oh wow you really struggled so for example One of the CEOs I met, she said, oh, uh, I had to Google what a CEO meant because I was an MD and I got put into that role and I just didn't know what to do. Or another one was saying, you know, how she struggled uh, with clients and uh, it was just, you know, she felt like an imposter. Um, so, So many senior women were saying really interesting stories. And as much as I love celebrating successes i found and i know that other people have found that the best way to really learn from someone is through those those stories of struggle um and so i started this way up uh the podcast where i interview leading women so women who've kind of made it in the industry about the good the bad and the ugly of their career
3: and so what i'm I'm always really fascinated around assumptions and the kind of assumptions that are made mm-hmm. um you know people just have this idea without really asking questions and through the the women that you've talked to what are the kind of assumptions um that have been made about i guess what they can do what they're capable of or mm. even what you know even with your work you know what what are people sort of are, are, yeah. What? How does that work? Yeah. Yeah.
6: So there's loads of assumptions. I guess there's sort of two views from the younger women that are not sticking around in advertising because they just can't. They just can't do it. You know, to have a family life. I mean, it's a whole lot of discussion about how hard it is as an industry. Um, but from these young women, they just assume they have this assumption that these women who've made it to the top are, you know, problem-free. They, they they just made it because they're successful, they're intelligent. Of course, they've got all these great skills, but they they struggled like everyone else. They are human. So I sort of try and uncover that. And then the other assumption is more on the other side of uh, of just, I don't know, there, there is a sort of a notion now more and more in this industry in advertising that there is a struggle for women, but people are not that you know, bothered or some top people are not that bothered. So that's, I guess it's not an assumption, but it is a problem that Mm. they're not seeing how difficult it is. And also they're not necessarily helping. Um, But I do think, you know, after the whole Me Too thing, which by the way is massive in advertising (laughs) as well as a problem, which is really sad, it has, something is shifting. And also a lot of brands are sort of saying, they don't want to go for advertising agencies that don't have diverse um, creative departments, which is great. So, are there any kind of um, in your
3: sort of career? Mm-hmm. Are there any success stories of things that you've really pushed forward where it's where your kind of colleague male colleagues have said no, that's like that's not going to work, um, or I, I'm putting mm. you on the spot. No, a little no, no, bit, it's okay.
6: Um, <laughs> If I'm honest, the times where I had the, the best time and created what I wanted to create uh, that really resonated, I think, with the audience is when I haven't been... Well, when some, when the agency I was working at was so busy they didn't look at what I was doing. So whilst they weren't looking, I did what I wanted to do. And I guess, you know, that's one thing I, as skilled as sort of developed over the years is resilience and persistence. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so managed to sort of write a script uh, for a short film for this big uh, coffee brand and then um, went into film it in Paris, for example, and just pushed it in every single way. And no one was looking until, oh, it was made. And do you know what? It became really successful. Um, so, yeah.
3: And is there, you, you know, obviously we talked about Me Too and, you, you know, there, that, there's, there seems to be like a an awakening mm. uh, that women... Exists and there is uh they are having these issues and things are hard yeah. and you know it's not all rosy and things are going on but do you see that uh, kind of from that what's the shift in 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 advertising for example yeah
6: so there's definitely been a shift and there's definitely like some really great agencies out there that are doing a lot towards it and are changing or are recognizing that they have a problem and then of course they are the ones who say they want to change and haven't changed that much um but I guess what why I sort of started my other event called um enough talk let's get Shit done uh through the she says network uh was also because we talk a lot and I was a bit bored of it. You know, I I don't want to keep sort of batting down with just words saying, come on, we exist as women, we're great, da-da-da, give us a chance because, you know, I'm sick of hearing my voice and I'm sure some people are and I just want to do stuff, you know. And so this event uh, has been brilliant. It's the second one that we did uh, last week, and the way it works is that we I encourage people to sort of put their hands up and say what kind of initiatives do they do or need help with, and then everyone in the room has to sort of give um, that has to help in some way. So it might be that oh I'll I'll help you out with some social you know help you out push it out on my social or uh, I'll do a talk for you that kind of thing and so it's all about sort of helping other women amplify their own events and things that they are passionate about so this is the second one what's what's been
3: done since the first one what's actually like happened
6: oh um loads uh well you're putting me on a spot sorry, here but, yeah. <laughs> um well there's a there's a woman that has started her own uh event in uh italy to try and help other women to um uh, who who sort of could be in the creative departments and the creative uh agencies to come to england or to come to different countries and have the the confidence to to make it happen um There's just been loads of people helping each other out with different initiatives. Actually, I saw recently that there was a a woman who was on the group who started doing a content series about football fans, uh, female football fans to be exact, and she seems to be doing really well. So it's slowly getting there because we're still at the beginning, but um, but the buzz out of it is tremendous. And the main thing is, even if you don't have an initiative, you feel this boost of confidence that you're not on your own and that's what's really important
3: so we're gonna hear a little clip from your podcast this way up i imagine people can just search this way up and
6: they'll find it I wish it was that easy Uh, uh, because it turns out there's another (laughs) This Way Up. But if you go to www.thiswayup.io, that's my website and you can see the podcast there. But please do follow us on Instagram as well. And your next event, any ideas? It's going to come up in September, um, end of September, uh, which I can give you the details for uh, to put on your website. Okay, thank you, Rebecca Roundtree. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.
10: I think one thing that's actually super important for I think the theme of the podcast that you're doing is for I think for women to, um, to for women to remember that there aren't a ton of us who have gotten to this to this yeah. place. And I think for for women who do get to a certain um, you know level of seniority. I think to always remember you have a responsibility to teach other Mm. women because we don't have the same sorts of networks and we don't have the same sorts of assumptions that men do. And I think it's incredibly important that we recognize that and that we share what our journeys are and that we also cultivate within the women that we manage relationships together with each other because men have their networks. Mm. I feel like we should have ours. And I think that women need to prioritize that in order for us to really kind of, you know, See a different vision.
6: Absolutely, and well, the
10: responsibility of it. I feel like a lo- I feel it's so easy to just get kind of bogged down in the day to day. But I think for all women to understand the responsibility, whether you're at the lowest level or at the highest level,
6: I, I couldn't agree more. And I guess that's also why uh, I started this podcast because yes. I am all about sharing women's journeys. Yes, so that we can all sort of learn from one another as much as possible. And everyone, everyone has got a great story to tell.
3: So that was Rebecca Roundtree's podcast, um, and if you, yeah, if you're interested in um, listening, uh, just search for this way up. Um, so. A few weeks ago, uh, I went to the opening, actually, no, it was a few months ago. I went to the opening of the Tommy Flowers Community Pub in Poplar in East London, and then they invited me back to take a look at the Marconi receiver that they just found in a local attic. <laughs>
0: This is just the receiver. I think Ann Smithers were much bigger, actually. I mean, this is, what, about 12 inches square and maybe about 4 inches high. It's about the size of an old kind of record player, really. But probably all that technology could be fitted in the size of a sesame seed now, I think. So everything has been condensed right now. I'm Gary Hunter. I run the Tommy Flowers pub in Poplar. Tommy Flowers was uh, an innovator in technologies, especially in telephones, telecommunications. What we're doing now is a project with the Heritage Lottery Fund where we've discovered a 1916 Marconi radio in a loft in Chelmsford, which has been basically forgotten about. We've borrowed this from the owner who worked with Marconi for many years at their Chelmsford headquarters, and we've looked into the history of Marconi radio operators. Uh, There was one on each merchant navy vessel, and they would be autonomous really from the rest of the crew and they would wear a smart uniform with a cap and a a badge and they would receive all of the messages in that were meant for the ship. So we looked at a particular Marconi radio operator from Scotland called Frederick Roberts Garden. Now he was uh, reported to have been lost at sea when the SS Moloja was hit by a mine in the English Channel in 1916. It had left from Tilbury, headed for Bombay and uh, there were 300 passengers on board and he was thought to be amongst the lost. Now, upon further investigation, we found that even though his name is on the Merchant Navy Memorial at Tower Hill, he actually survived and uh, went on to live until 1945. Now, um, more on the actual Marconi receiver. This originally started as a, a crystal set when it was built in 1916 and then was adjusted to be a valve set. So it's, it's quite a rare beast, really. Uh, so much so that it's going on show at a specialist museum near Chancellor called Sanford Mill. Now it hasn't quite been restored yet, but if uh, we can just look at it a bit more closely. You can see where the valves would be put and all of the, the other dials for actually tuning into to receiving. So it's kind of interesting to look at this and think how bulky this is. and and how telecommunications has changed in the last 100
2: years.
0: (coughs) Cecil, go and have a look at this. uh, It's a Marconi radio from uh, 1916, so that would be used on a ship. I'm Cecil Daly and I'm a local resident. I'm Jimmy Waters and I'm a local resident. One thing I want to show you, actually, what we found when we opened it up, was a list of uh, girls' names in there, you see, so... Whatever the radio operator was speaking to, a lot of different women at the same time. Oh, it's kind of isn't interesting, that, isn't it? Wonderful,
11: isn't that wonderful? You certainly can't do the mobile phone, can you? <laughs> you can't hide things inside. Yeah, I will be. You could also put like, like tea bags in there, couldn't you or something. Um, so that's um, so. Girl's name? Have you got? Are they
0: clearly written? You can clearly see. It's only a fragment them. of the paper. You see, so it must have been quite interesting information on the rest of the page, I think. Yeah, is
11: it interesting now? We're looking at that and, and the stories that could tell if you could actually verbalise, you know, what is yeah. It's
0: quite decorative, isn't it? It's going to be refurbished and shown at uh, Sanford Mill, which is a specialist telecommunications museum near Chelmsford. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where it's going. Okay. So it was, you know, just found in an attic in Chelmsford, it's been completely forgotten about. And the man who owns it, who's in his 80s now, uh, worked for Marconi for a long time, you see. Yeah. And the main factory was up there. Looks pretty solid, doesn't it? Yeah, it looks very solid. You know, it looks as if it's been mounted at some point or screwed yeah. down. I suppose on the ship, you'd have to make sure you, yeah, it, fall yeah, and it and yeah. screwed down so that you can't be easily t- moved or nicked. Or nicked, yes.
11: And is it, um, is that kind of mahogany or is it, can, I, can I just like touch it? This a bit. Oh my goodness, it's heavy. <laughs> I associate things being heavy with being well made I don't know I just feel that it's heavy so it's kind of it means it's well made to me you know. Have you got your
0: mobile phone with you?
11: I've got my mobile phone. Yeah
0: just get out and compare it to that I mean yeah. if you understand that's only a receiver yeah and even it's, your mobile phone can receive and transmit
11: can't it? Yeah it's really interesting how things are getting smaller and smaller and where will it end because it's like nanotechnology aren't we you know we're going to be and then I think there might become a fashion where I think people like bigger things again. Because looking at that, that looks to me, regardless of the technology, more reliable than this. It's not, you know, not easy to drop that. It's, kind of, it's like static, isn't it? It's not going to go anywhere fast. You know? And I like the idea that things like that, older things, they can be like repaired and parts replaced. Whereas what we have now is something like this, this mm. small mobile phone It just got thrown away. And I, and I like the idea of keeping things... You know, and repairing them, and and have some kind of continuity of the use of something, rather than everything being thrown away now. You know.
0: Actually, Nick, you've got a pretty uh, state-of-the-art phone. Do you want to bring it over here and compare it to the radio? What can yours do?
11: Well, it's my alarm clock. It's my phone. It's my internet access. It's my yeah email. It's it's, uh, my Uber ordering system. Far a proper camera, to be honest doesn't quite uh, cut
0: it it would be interesting to see these smartphone zombies walking down Oxford Street with one of these radios wouldn't trying to sort of transmit <laughs> yeah. the that. yeah they would have arched backs wouldn't they yeah.
11: what interests me is I did an IT uh, course a couple of years ago and I, what I concluded from that was that all that this is doing is this uh, in, in information technology is enabling people to eat their lunch at their desks you know I mean this is rather primitive but people their lives were different. I think they had more leisure time, possibly, than we have now. It seems that people... There's no time off. off now, is there? No, no, there's no thing. time off. You're, no. You're, you're always switched on, you, you're becoming part of the phone, aren't you? you know? It's no great insight, but I've got a little small mobile phone, I just have to carry it around with me. Sort of like you just feel you have to be in touch all the time. I can still remember the days when you'd you go out and use a telephone box and yes. put 2p in and there'll be telephone directories in the telephone kiosks. For me, it really wasn't my choice, it was my mum, as you said yeah. to me, you have to have a phone. Now, that's what everybody has.
12: Back, I can remember that the day it became essential to me almost down to the month. It was in the end of 1998, and I was meeting about three or four friends in London, and I didn't have a mobile phone, and one of them lent me a mobile phone. And it became essential, I remember where it was, it was in Shaftesbury Avenue, and exactly, uh, not, not the exact time of the day. But uh, it was the time when I he had to organise and get three people to the same spot at once. And I, I realised the only way this is physically possible to get a, the, here in an hour is this thing in my hand. And that was the day I realised that this is essential to the life I'm going to lead. And that's, as I say, it was possibly almost exactly 20 years ago to this year. And that's I think that's sort of when everybody started realising that this is going to be the future.
0: Maybe 18 years ago, the first time I started but I knew about them and wasn't interested in them simply because... If somebody wanted me, they would then uh, know where to contact me, and that, that would normally be at the weekends in the pub. Apart from <laughs> okay, that,
11: okay.
0: apart from that, I didn't want to be contacted. You know, my partner knew the telephone number of the pub, and that was good enough at the time. Oh, wow. So there was no um, necessity to have a mobile. It was only when I had children that that all changed. Well, you know.
3: But I think we're living in quite a similar time um, communication-wise to this in the way that, bear with me you know, when people using these transmitters and receivers you weren't using this technology to have a conversation you're receiving it to transmit and receive a specific message and I think the way that we use phones now is really like that. When We spend less time actually talking to people. There was a whole moment when telephones and telecommunication was all about conversation, mm. and I think it isn't so much.
0: That's almost going back to, say, 100 years ago, when there was four postal deliveries a day. So you could send a postcard in the morning. Somebody would get that at, say, 11 o'clock, and then you could arrange to meet them for lunch at 1. So it's a little bit like text now, isn't it? The, the, the delivery service was so good on, on the mail. They could arrange things the same day, you know.
12: A letter and a postcard today have almost uh, moved up a step and now they've almost become a present as opposed to before it was just conventional, a phone call or a postcard or a letter, they were all the same thing, but now everyone's so used to having a text as the basic level, possibly a bit more, a bit above that a phone call because it's a bit more immediate and more personal, but the fact that you've actually taken time to write something and send it as a postcard, it's almost like getting a gift. Like, I really want to communicate this message to you. I really like you, or for some reason, it's a special thing. It's a special sort of type of communication.
3: It's time to say goodbye. Eastcast will be back in September. On Resonance 104.4 FM, with more sounds and stories from East London and beyond, and we'll also be broadcasting our live event, East Castaway, that was hosted in June at Set Space in Dalston, on Wednesday the first of August at 9 p.m. and Sunday the fifth on uh, at midday. So listen out for that. In the meantime, you can find everything on eastcarshow.com or catch up on our podcasts, um, on your preferred podcast provider. To play us out is Twice Born by Caroline's Fingers. Thanks for listening.
9: Dionysus, take me to another life Twice for lover.